This week on Punch Mountain, John Wick is back, and if you thought Revenge for a Dead Dog was relatable, wait till you see what he does to his employer. Somebody get this show a gun, because we're watching John Wick, Chapter 2. Punch Mountain starts now. Hello, and welcome to Punch Mountain, the podcast where we review action movies one by one to discover the definitive ranking of action movies. Not determined by us, but by the action gods themselves. We don't make the mountain, we just climb it. My name is Mac Blake, and I'm joined as always by a man who thinks a kiss on the hand is quite continental, Mr. David Hada. David Hada, how are you? Oh no, what is that from? I feel like I'm failing a pop quiz. Uh, I know the rest of the song is like Diamonds Are a Girl's Best Friend. Is that the name of the, the movie? No, the movie is Diamonds Are Forever? No. No. <laughs> what the fuck is the movie? <laughs> Oh, no. Shit. Now I got to look this up. I can't not know this. I know it was Marilyn Monroe. Yeah, but what's the move? Gentlemen prefer blondes. God damn it. That's, yeah, I should have known that. Is that true, David? That gentlemen prefer blondes? Yes. Uh, ask a gentleman, Mac. <laughs> I know this podcast is nasty boys only. <laughs> David, the Continental is also the name of the fictional hotel for dogs. I mean, assassins, oh, and also dogs, uh, in the John Wickiverse. And I mentioned that because we just watched... John Wick chapter two, and we're going to talk about it. Yes, we are going to talk about it. Uh, Happy birthday to me. This is going to be my birthday pick. So I figured, you know what? Last year we did the driver for my birthday. Let's do something that people might actually like. So I thought John Wick two was a safe bet. I actually, you know, as we said in John Wick one, I want to hurry up and get through these so that I could watch John Wick four, which I still have not seen yet. So this was a present to all of us so that we can keep the John Wick line moving and add another Keanu movie to the mountain. Let's do four this time. Happy John Wicksmas to you, David Hanna. And a Merry Winston to you as well, sir. I don't celebrate. David, what do you think? <laughs> uh, what were your thoughts about John Wick 2? You know, let me, before you uh, answer the question I just asked you, I was listening to a previous episode, the True Lies one, and mm. it was another episode where you remembered the exact theater you saw these movies in. Uh, I just gotta say, that's impressive. How, what do you credit that to? Having those sort of mental connections of like, oh, I remember the theater. Do you just like movies that much? Do you just love movies? Honestly, yes. I, you know, I've always, since I was a kid, loved the experience of going to the movies. It was always this treat. So it just got burned into my brain from a young age. And so as I got older, it it went from this thing that got burned in my memories as a good memory to this thing I felt compelled to collect. In fact, I think you and I have talked about this before, where for the longest time, you and I both kept separate collections of our movie tickets. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I had like a decade's worth of movie stubs. I brought them camping one time so I could burn them in a fire because I felt like throwing them away would dishonor them. But we made it into a game. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's kind of where I am with movies. I I tend to remember where I was when I saw them and, you know, what theater and, and the circumstances around it. But I'll tell you what, Mac Blake, I'm glad you mm-hmm. asked that in relation to John Wick 2. I don't remember uh, where I saw John Wick 2. I have an idea. Since it came out in January of 2017, I know where I was and I know where I was watching movies. But, like, I searched my brain to remember anything about this movie other than kind of the punchline of this movie where, you know, spoiler alert, everybody in New York City is an assassin. I remember that development from this movie. But, like, the action of it, the story of it, quite frankly, I don't really remember that much of it. So watching it again, it was it was nice to watch it with fresh eyes because, you know, we've had this conversation on the Discord, if you'll allow me a moment to plug that. Please. <laughs> Where we've been talking about John Wick. We've been talking about the John Wick series. And it seems to me that the general consensus is that John Wick 2 
is the weakest effort, at least of the three, let's say, let's not include the fourth one. So that kind of surprised me in that, you know, I was, I was coming into this thinking, oh, what if I find a diamond in the rough? What if, you know, I rediscover this movie and I find it's better in, in ways that people aren't considering? No, everyone's right. This movie's okay. Don't get me wrong. I like this movie a lot, but there's a lot of procedure going on. This is, you know, keep in mind, it's the sequel to the first John Wick. The first John Wick felt like lightning in a bottle where it was just kind of this self-contained story of a man getting revenge for his dead dog. And so you're like, well, how are they going to build that out? Well, that's what the second movie is here for. It's it's building the world for the greater saga. It's not just the further adventures of John Wick. It's here to tell you a story. And so this is kind of the saggy second chapter. Even the fights and stunts are kind of underwhelming. Like there's no real, oh man, can you believe this scene? You know, there's nothing like that in here. So I'm going to enjoy talking about it. Like I said, I enjoyed the movie, but as far as an action movie, as far as as far as a jewel in the John Wick crown, I'm interested to see how this conversation goes. But Mac, what are your opening thoughts about John Wick 2? I think you're absolutely right, David. I think this movie, uh, as sequels tend to do, it tries to go bigger than the original. But this movie goes bigger in an interesting way. It doesn't try to like outstunt it or like have bigger action set pieces. It just tries to grow the story elements. Like it tries to grow the world, right? And I feel like it tries to grow John Wick's skill set in terms of like as an assassin. Because the first movie was, you know, primarily him with a gun. Here we get him a little more hand-to-hand and uh, some, some more car work out of uh, John Wick. And yeah, you, you do get to like meet more characters and this world gets bigger and the runtime gets unfortunately longer. But I feel like it could have benefited from a little attempt to like uh, outwow us or, you know, add a little bit more wow than, than John Wick had. Because, you know, John Wick 1, it wasn't, it did not set the box office on fire. It just kind of did okay. And then this movie was like, oh shit, we got a franchise going here. But something I remember about this movie coming out, David, is I believe, and I might be wrong, I believe it came out the same weekend as the Lego Batman movie, which I have to say, in terms of Batman movies, is definitely in my top three. <laughs> I remember I saw this movie at the Alamo Drafthouse Slaughter Lane with a bunch of friends, and I tried to talk them into seeing the Lego Batman movie, and they were like, John Wick 2, stupid. And I was like, all right, fine. Which is funny, because now I have an action podcast, and they're all dead. <laughs> You would have been a hero that day, Mac, showing them Lego Batman instead of John Wick 2. That would have been a, a savvy pick on your part. I'm sorry, I was taking a very long drink of water. To me, they're dead to me, David. <laughs> no, but I like I like John Wick 2. This definitely has uh, some cool moments. And look, I like watching John Wick. Now, if you remember in the first John Wick movie, David, we had one of our biggest wuss warnings ever. Because uh, you do not see a puppy die. Because, uh, you know, the, the thing that spurs John Wick into action is some uh, Russian hooligans uh, kill his his puppy that was given him by his posthumously by his dead wife. And uh, you do not see it, but you hear it. And it's just like the, you know, whatever sound of like a, kind of this puppy being snuffed out. It, it's that's the sound they played. It's terrible. And this movie, of course, you know, you're like, oh, no, they're going to go bigger. And then, ah, God damn it. The second he adopts that llama, you're like, oh, please don't have this <laughs> llama die in an even worse way. And you know. No, there is, he does get a dog, but I'll tell you right now, this dog lives. There's a point where John Wick's home gets destroyed with the dog definitely in it. And then you cut to the dog, like outside licking John's face, like, oh, that was something, huh? So yes, no wuss warning in terms of animals dying in this movie. Uh, The dog makes it. He's fine. He uh, is a good looking pooch. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Almost focus grouped, some might say. He's he's a very John Wick dog. Yeah, he's he's a pit bull. 
which my wife, my fur wife while watching this goes, oh, why'd they have to get a pit? Which was weird. It's <laughs> like, do you? Okay. But I think, you know, just in terms of her being feral, I think she just wanted a dog she could easily overmaster. And pits, pits sometimes prove difficult for her when she's uh, fighting over food in the alley. David, before we go any further, I think it would help to clear up some common questions. If you search John Wick 2 on Google, the results include these frequently asked questions. So we'll do some quickly provided answers. David, is John Wick 2 better than John Wick 1? Oh my God, yes. John Wick 2 is longer than John Wick 1. Mac, how many words does John Wick say in John Wick 2? David, he actually only says five words, and they're the same five words that are uh, on the um, gas station by my house. Lowest cigarette prices in town. David, what is the point of John Wick 2? The point of John Wick 2 is to avoid eye contact with the person sitting next to you on the flight. Mac, how much time passed between John Wick 1 and 2? The crazy thing, David, it was, it was five years, because at the end of John Wick 1, everyone got snapped out by Thanos, and then they were snapped right back. Did you not know this movie was part of the uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe? I did not know that. I guess I got snapped out of it. Oh, my goodness. Another amazing fact you can hear only on Punch Mountain. Maybe because it is not true. Uh, David, I just remembered something. Uh, the, the sign says, always low cigarette prices, not the lowest in town. But I don't know why. It's a, they, they got a big vinyl banner and put that right out <laughs> on the street as you drive by. Uh, which, look, if one car drives by and then skirt, like, does a hard right in because they want those low cigarette prices. It's worth every uh, cent they spent. On a, on a giant vinyl banner. Does that feel good living in the in the, living in the cheap cigarette district? Ooh, it does feel like a, 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 a condemnation of where I live. Yes, it definitely does. <laughs> David, before we dive into the story of a man who almost dies because he refuses to pay back a debt, let's check in with two friends who fake their own deaths to avoid paying late fees on a two night rental of Moulin Rouge. Were those friends, David? It's a friendship check in. First of all, I don't regret that at all. That the fees were just outrageous for that. Uh, but David Hada, for real, how are you? How you doing? I'm doing quite well, Mac. I, I'm well rested. I feel full of energy. I, I my body does not crackle and creak because I bought a new mattress the other day. This Whoa. was uh, that's right, that's right. This was uh, my Christmas present to myself and also a Christmas present for the bombshell uh, because she was like, "You need a new bed," and so I was like, "You got it." And so bought a new bed. And well, when was the last time you bought a bed, Mac? How how old is your bed, if I may ask? If that's not a rude thing to ask. No, it is, it is not a rude because we got it when we moved into this uh, particular place. And that was seven years ago, David. I'm, I think it's definitely time. In fact, I, I'll talk about my mattress after you talk about yours. But let me ask you this. Did you buy one of those uh, internet mattresses? I did. It was a mattress in a box. It came in a little mini fridge box. We unfurled it over the course of 72 hours. This is my second mattress in a box experience. Uh, the first one uh, I'm just now getting rid of. And it feels like it's been a mattress in the box for the past five years. So. Uh, fingers crossed. I hope I have better luck with this new one. It's time for us to get rid of my mattress because it needs to shut the fuck up. Because when my wife gets out of bed, the mattress is like, er, just like the smallest little noise. Like uh, Lauren Michael is about to speak, but then thinking better of it. Er, you know, just like that. <laughs> when I get out of the bed, the mattress is like, er, er, just like this huge creak. And it's like, oh, shut the fuck up. Like, the, I'm not that heavy. The mattress is like, oh, my God. was. And did Atlas get out of bed while holding the earth? It's like, fuck you, mattress. <laughs> the level of disrespect and the creaks as I get out of that thing. It's not like when I get out, there's like a dent. You know what I mean? It goes back. It's level with her side. Yeah. I just don't need these ugh, these springs. I'll, I'll replace it with a fucking Casper mattress on a heartbeat. I'll use discount code 99% invisible to, uh, to get it at a decent price. 
You've got springs in your mattress? I guess you do have one of those like fancy store-bought mattresses then. It's got something in there. I haven't cut it open. Uh, but something's creaking around. Probably springs. Why? What's in most mattresses? Water? Well, I mean, because mine came in a box, so it's just all foam. It's just, it's this Nerf product that just unfurled, so I don't have to worry about anything creaking or or making noise. The only thing that makes noise is me when I'm when I'm done with a night of excellent sleeping. Well, I don't know. Maybe it's like the wooden frame. Look, something in there needs to shut its goddamn mouth <laughs> and remember uh, who, who can throw out who. And, and that's me. I'm, I'm the tosser. Well, you, you certainly are, man. <laughs> <laughs> that translates well, right? <laughs> oh, sure. Internationally, you bet. Uh, but I'm going to be the insufferable friend who says, Mac, Ever since I got a mattress, I think everyone else should get a mattress because, man, I got to tell you the difference. Like, we still have the old mattress in the living room. I, I have yet to figure out how to get rid of it or what to do with it. But I'll flop on it every once in a while, just like, oh, my weary bones. And, man, I don't know how I spent five years on this thing. It is like the Laundrypedic 5000. It's just it's the world's first mattress made of laundry. I don't know. Like, there's no there's no form to it. There's no shape. Uh, I'm so glad I bought this new mattress. So uh, this segment brought to you by Nectar Mattresses. Everybody, if you want a mattress Nectar. you've never heard of, that's Nectar Mattresses. Yeah, it Ugh. reviewed very well. Uh, yeah. Well, I think I know what's in there, David, and it's probably disgusting. Well, I'll be the insufferable friend. Uh, I know exactly where you need to get rid of that old mattress, an unsupervised uh, apartment complex dumpster. Oh, man, those are the best. I struggle to think of where one would be nearby, but I, it's times like this that I do miss Austin, Texas, and it's plethora of industrial parks. Uh, so, Mac Blake, how are you doing? Well, let's check in with you, friend. Well, David, I was uh, lying on and my mattress the other the other day, and as I was, uh, it was in the wee small hours of the morning. It was before my son got up. So I had about thirty minutes just uh, to lie awake and, and, and stare at the ceiling. I came to a decision, David, and I was like, you know what? I'm gonna get rid of my Sega Genesis. It has oh. been, I think, years since I played it. For some reason, video game systems more than any other thing. Like the gap between when I've stopped using it and when I get rid of it, like more than anything else, like, you know, books, you know, comics, mattresses, uh, you know, whatever. Uh, <laughs> I'm always like so reluctant to get rid of video game systems. Are you like that? Do you have any old systems hanging around that you stop playing? I think we've hung on to all of our old systems just on the off chance that one day we'll want to pick them up again. I know that when uh, when the pandemic first started, we loaded up on all of the old rock bands. So we had to hold on to oh, our wow. PS3 for that one. Yeah. I still love a good rock band, Mac. You can't take that away from me. But uh, but yeah, no, I'm, I'm right there with you. Like, there's something about game consoles just, I guess, because of the possibility. Like, you know, I never played every Super Nintendo game out there. What if there's one that I find one day and maybe I just want to throw it on and, and go back 30 years in terms of technology? Well, the, the reason uh, why I was holding on to it was because I had the game X-Men for Sega Genesis and I never beat it. And I've always like, maybe well, one day I'm going to beat it. And I was laying in bed, a, a little voice inside my head that I guess, where have you been? Uh, it was like, hey, do you do you have fun playing that game? Is that why you never beat it? And I was like, yeah, I don't really think that game is fun. And I was like, then why do you still have it? And I said, shut up, you. <laughs> and I decided to get rid of it. Uh, but when I opened it up uh, and I was like, well, maybe I'll just keep the game because it looks nice on a shelf, <laughs> which, I, again, my problems, they just won't, don't go away easily. How long is it going to be before you're like, son of a bitch, I wish I had held on to that Genesis? I'm going to say within the next year, within the next 12 months, you're going to have a moment where you're like, God damn it. Well, David, I did buy like that mini Genesis uh, a year ago or so that's like loaded with 150 games. 
So again, why do I have the new one? Why didn't you lead with that? Why did I keep the old one? I don't know. I don't know what my problem is. We went on this sentimental journey, this Marley and me of your saying goodbye to your old second genets. You've got a new one loaded with 100 games. It's like real tiny. It's kind of cute. <laughs> well, good. All right, David. Are, are we thinking we're, we're back? Is it time to do this thing? Mac, grab your box full of tokens. We're going in. <laughs> you know what that makes me think of? Tokens? What's that? Tokens can't have tokens can't have too many tokens, <laughs> which is from, is that from uh, Tim and Eric's Tom Goes to the Mayor? That's from Tom Goes to the Mayor. That's right. From uh, the WW Lasers episode where they turn a historical restaurant into a, uh, a a laser palace for children. Man, watching that cartoon Tom Goes to the Mayor, who knew that those dudes would like turn into such like a powerhouse? Seriously. <laughs> All right, David, in case someone has not seen John Wick 2 in a minute, or in case they've never seen it, uh, just a level set, could you give the back of the box description? You bet I can. Legendary hitman John Wick is forced out of retirement again by a former associate plotting to seize control of a shadowy international assassin's guild. Bound by a blood oath to help him, John travels to Rome, where he squares off against some of the world's deadliest killers. 2017, 122 minutes, directed by Chad Stahelski, rated R for strong violence throughout, some language, and brief nudity. You know, this back-of-the-box description, uh, you know, lean mean to the point, it does mention something that I kind of didn't think about, about John Wick 2, but yeah, the idea that he's like, well, I'm retired again. Nope, now here I come. I'm I'm non-retired again. You'd almost think that that would be the entire like uh, series uh, concept. Like John Wick 3 mm-hmm. is like, I'm retired super duper. Oh, jeepers. And he's got to come back. But no, I think it's it for him uh, in terms of coming out of retirement. Although I haven't seen four. Maybe he retires halfway through. Oh, that'd be nice. I'm rooting for him. I'm rooting for him to stop working. Okay. <laughs> How does this movie start? Mac, this movie starts with a high-speed chase already in progress between some dude on a motorcycle and John Wick, played by Keanu Reeves. John Wick is in pursuit of a key card the motorcyclist is carrying that will allow John entrance into the warehouse chop shop of Russian gangster Abram Tarasov, played by Peter Stormare. John Wick recovers his beloved car stolen in the first movie, but John lets Tarasov live and opts for retirement instead. So already we're we're off to a blazing hot start with this movie. We're going to open on a high-speed chase throughout the streets of New York. But before we even get to that, we're going to open on a, a movie being projected on the sidewall of a building. This is going to be uh, Buster Keaton in The General. And look, before we recorded this episode, I started a cursory search on Google to, to see what the relationship is between John Wick and Buster Keaton. There's a lot of articles about it. I don't really care to read them. I don't really care to know. I just know that there's some connection between the John Wick series and silent film stars of yesterday. Good for you, movie. Yeah, it was so noticeable in the beginning, the projected footage. It really did make me go, I wonder what that's a burn. And I was like, oh, I don't care anymore because cars go fast. But David, this opening is, it's kind of like a three-tiered action set piece. And we started with this first tier, which is some car chase action. I'm going to call Wick on the Hunt uh, because you're right. Uh, John Wick is uh, chasing someone down on the motorcycle and he crunches that dude with his car. Uh, not crunches him, like runs over him, but like hits him with the car. And I, I love a good car crunch. So uh, I'm already on board with this thing. Uh, but we find out, yeah, he's trying to track down his old car, his old Mustang from the first John Wick movie. And it's in the hands of the brother of Michael Nyquist, the the villain, I don't know, Mikhail Nyquist, however you say his name, the villain from the first John Wick movie. And and again, the, I think it was a Swedish actor doing a Russian accent and decided to keep that trend going. 
by another Swedish actor, Peter Stormare here, trying to do a Russian accent. I feel like I, I saw an interview where he talked about him getting asked to do accents. And he's just like, yeah, whatever. Like, you want me to do Hungarian? It's the same voice I'm going to do all the time. Uh, but I, first of all, how do you feel about Peter Stormare? I generally... In, in a vacuum, not having anything to do with this movie, I love Peter Stormer. I've loved him ever <laughs> since Fargo. Like, he was so great in that. But from Fargo to everything else was a steep drop in quality to the point where when I saw him in this movie, my first thought was, oh, no. In the same way that, like, if, you, if you've if you ever seen Crank High Voltage, uh, the second Crank movie, and you see Bai Ling in that movie, and you're like, oh, no, Bai Ling's in this movie. Like, that's kind of how I felt with Peter Stormare. I like Peter Stormare, but you are correct in that a little goes a long way. And so the fact he's only in the beginning of this movie is is good. I was happy to see him. He is mugging for all his worth, though, in this thing. Like, just every line of dialogue is like so much face acting out of this dude. He's uh, he's really, really telling a story. He's a real storyteller with uh, his, uh, his mouth movements here. I'm not just talking about words, David. I'm talking about grimaces. I will give you that because one of my favorite parts early on in this movie is he's talking to one of his underlings, you know, sort of preparing his underling for the arrival of John Wick. And, you know, his underling is like, why are we going through such measures? Why are we basically shutting down our operations? And so Tarasov has to explain to him, you know, John Wick is coming. And in explaining that John Wick is coming, he recounts the pencil story, the, you know, the, the legend from the first movie where John Wick killed three people with a single pencil. And Peter Stormare's enthusiasm for this story where he's just like, can you believe it? He killed people, three people with a fucking pencil. I did love it. So maybe I will walk back my apprehension about Peter Stormare. But this movie, you know, I, I think it's aware of the fact that because it's, uh, you know, bigger budget, a wider release, they're like, you know what? So people walking in this thing may not have seen John Wick 1. And so uh, Tarasov, Peter Stormare's character here, he does like a previously on John Wick kind of recap. I mean, my first punch up here is that... Uh, when the guy's like, you know, why are we so worried about John Wick? Or whatever he says, that Peter Stormare would have just pulled out the DVD box to John Wick 1 and be like, <laughs> have you not seen this movie? Uh, and then you know, just talk about it, because, yeah, but it really is like in a, in a case you missed it. So John Wick makes his way through the warehouse. He makes his way up to Tarasov. There's going to be a little bit of a twist here, because instead of blowing Tarasov to smithereens, uh, he decides that he wants peace. Uh, he's going to settle on just a, a drink and a walk away. But there's a little bit of this interaction between Peter Stormare and Keanu Reeves that takes place in Russian. Now, Mac, uh, may I ask which service or or how did you watch John Wick 2? Uh, probably the same as you, David. I'm a loyal Peacock user. Okay. So one of the things I remember about John Wick 1 is that they had these kind of stylized subtitles where the words might fade on and off the screen. Some words might be bold or in different colors. Did you happen to have that on on your Peacock version? Nah, just uh, captions that are closed, David. See, okay, at least you had those because I did Peacock my first watch. I did Amazon my second watch because there were no subtitles at all on the Peacock version, not even the mm. ones that were pre-baked into the movie. So we're watching the movie and there's a fair amount of this movie that takes place either in different languages, uh, in sign language. So if you're not watching with subtitles, you miss at least 10% of the movie. Be mindful of that, Peacock users. But John Wick kills his way to Tarasov's office. And then, hey, they bond over some vodka. And uh, they're like, uh, you know, can we have peace? And he's like, yeah, I think we can have peace, John Wick. And so John Wick goes to get his car. Typical general here. Instead of trying to make peace with John Wick, like right away, he's like, you know, go ahead and kill 80 of my men first. Their lives mean nothing to me. 
And John Wick, he goes to uh, get his Mustang back and drive away. But when John Wick finally gets his Mustang, I believe it was the Mustang and not the other car, there's a scene here where John Wick like joins the fray by basically like launching his car out of a building. And there's something about that car launch. It just was like, let's fucking go. Like it, it was almost like, let's get ready to rumble. It just, it was like yeah, kind of the opening bell here. And it got me so hyped. It was my first markout moment, David. I marked out. I didn't quite mark out. I did hell yeah, which I guess is just splitting hairs, but it was basically like an a midair fishtail, if you could picture that, where it was just it was coming out of the warehouse sideways. And I thought that was very cool. It was it was a good way to announce this movie. And it goes on a uh, high speed chase from there. This high speed chase is okay. I mean, it's it's good. It's you know, that's the thing you can count on with John Wick movies, is that at least the stunts and the action are competently done. They might not be the most thrilling thing you've ever seen, but like they're well done pieces. This chase is really good. I got to tell you, I'm never up for a blind side. You know that about me. You know that from this show. I don't like it when cars come out of nowhere and T-bone the, the viewer basically, but I'm always up for a demolition derby. And that's basically what this is. It's John Wick and his Mustang versus at least a dozen taxis, I want to say. And they're all just crunching each other. I really enjoyed this. You're right. We move on to the second layer of this action set piece, which we will call Demolition Derby Demo, because they demonstrate how it's done. Well done. And in this Demolition Derby, John Wick's car, his beloved Mustang, that, that's why he's going all this effort to get it back. It, he basically gets like fucked up, absolutely destroyed. But there's one part where John Wick's car is like messed up and there's like one surviving bad guy and he's like trying to kind of hobble away. And John Wick is able to start his car and he looks behind him like in the rear view mirror. And he's like backing up his car to try and hit this dude. And you're like, oh no, is he going to crunch over him? He doesn't crunch over him. He turns in a way to where he basically like punches out the guy with the car and crunches him a little bit. And because you like had the time to see it coming and there's a little unexpected twist with exactly how he killed this dude, I marked out again. My second markout moment. I love a good car crunch, David. There's something interesting going on with the man versus car element in, in this scene. Like you mentioned, you know, John Wick basically chases down this guy and, and like sideswipes him with his car. And then a moment later, another car comes out of nowhere and knocks John Wick out of his car because he doesn't have a door. He used it to to take out a motorcyclist. But like there's this energy to it. It's almost like, oh, gosh, how do I put it? Like when you're trying to see who could be the person to reach the knob on a baseball bat where you're like, I'll put my fist there. No, I'll put my fist there. My fist there. My fist there. No, no, no I've got the top of the knob. I don't know if I'm doing a very good job of describing this on a podcast, but there's like a boom, boom, boom kind of energy uh, to this sequence with, with people in cars. I, I enjoyed that as well. But after John Wick's car finally dies, we move on to the third tier of this action set piece, which I haven't been thinking of a name of, so we'll call it a Punchalition Derby. Sure. And we go with some hand-to-hand combat here, which I think some of this is Keanu Reeves, if not most of it, doing his own stunts. And, you know, it looks great. And there's a moment here where some dude is like, you know, they're exchanging blows and John Wick is just like, fuck this. And he pulls out a gun, bap, 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 and shoots him. You know, a little Raiders of the Lost Ark kind of vibe to it, but it, it was fun. And then, yeah, eventually he fights his way to Tarasov's office where they're like, oh, can we have peace? And he, they, they drink some vodka and they have peace. And, you know, of course, Tarasov, like he could have made peace with John Wick, you know, last week or whatever. But he's like, oh, yeah, go ahead and, and kill all of my men. They mean nothing to me or something. I don't know what voice that was. But yeah, John Wick gets his car back, even though it is, uh, you know, ready for the crusher at this point. It's, 
it's pretty well mangled. But uh, you know that that's kind of the prologue to this movie. Yeah, Tarasov is is conflicted to the point of confusion because, like you said, he could have given the car back to John Wick. He could have given it to him days ago, but he held on to it out of some loyalty to his dead brother and his dead nephew, even though he knows, oh, John Wick's coming for me because of this car. I feel like there's a lot of that running through this movie where it's just like, this doesn't make a lot of sense when you cross-examine it, but you know what? It's John Wick Chapter 2 and we're off and running. Yeah, I guess he was like, I cannot show weakness in case and just capitulate to John Wick. And then after like he kills like all of his men, he's like, weakness sounds good. You know, he's he's uh, <laughs> he's suddenly on board. Oh, they're they're cutting to Tarasov in his office while John Wick is fighting outside. And Tarasov has this look like, is today the day? Is today the day where John Wick says, I don't want to fight you? Oh, man, come on. And sure enough, it pays off with a jackpot. I mean, you do have to give props to Peter Stormare because not only did he probably knock out all of his filming in one day because his character never left this one room, his character also never left his chair, if I if I remember correctly. <laughs> so nice paycheck pickup for uh, for old for old Petey, Petey Storm. Pete Storm. That's what I'm going to call him. Taking a page from the Walter Matthau School of Action. I love it. Stay mm-hmm. in your chair for the whole movie. <laughs> but Mac, John Wick drops off his car with Aurelio, played by John Leguizamo his mechanic buddy from the first movie, and reminisces about his wife Helen, played by Bridget Moynihan, who is still dead. John literally gets done putting away his assassin costume for the last time ever, but who should come knocking to force John out of retirement? But new character Santino D'Antonio, played by Ricardo Scabarchio. Now that John came out of retirement once, Santino wants to cash in an old marker to unretire John for one last job. When John refuses Santino's marker without even hearing what the job is, Santino responds by blowing up John's house. Looks like John is kind of thinking he's back. So yeah, after Leguizamo shows up to collect uh, another paycheck, or maybe before that happens, you know, John Wick in the glove compartment to the car, uh, or I don't somewhere in the car, he finds yet another letter from his dead wife. How many, did she set up a scavenger hunt? Like how many letters, is this going to happen every movie where it's like, oh, I found another one. She liked hiding things. Let this poor woman rest in peace. Well, I think it was just, if I may, I think it was just a card that he saved. I don't think it had anything to do with her death necessarily. I don't think it was like, sorry for my loss or whatever. I He just loved saving mementos of his wife. But then it's also like, is John Wick the greeting card type of guy? Is he like, is he trading greeting cards with a, with his wife every every holiday? I, that That feels inconsistent too. Yeah, but also, you know, again, I think the sequel wanted to make sure it caught everyone up on the first movie. So let's call Bridget Moynihan back for just a reminder, like, oh, his wife's dead and he's sad about it. But he, he being John Wick, he thinks he's done, right? And so what does he do? And in the first movie, he took a sledgehammer and dug up all his assassin gear that he had buried in the basement under a, you know, a, a layer of cement. He puts it down there and re-cements it. I don't know about you, David, but the entire time he was like smoothing over that wet concrete. I just was like, no, stop, stupid. Don't you know you're in an action movie, John Wick, chapter two? I had that thought as well. I was, you know, when when he's putting the stuff away, he has to know he's John Wick. He has to know people have heard that he's unretired. They're going to want him back. But also, I, I was struck with the thought of, hey, if you're serious about this, just get rid of your stuff. So that way, when Santino comes over, he's like, hey, I want you out of retirement. John can just be like, hey, but I got rid of all my stuff. Come to my basement. There's a hole there where my stuff used to be. I don't have my stuff. And then <laughs> Santino would just let him go. Because he doesn't have his stuff anymore. <laughs> but Santino comes in and he's like, you know, I heard you're, uh, you're back in action. And John Wick's like, not really. And Santino's like, well, you know, you swore an oath to me. You gave me a marker. 
Basically, you owe me a favor because I did you a favor on the night you first uh, got out. Uh, you know, he got out of the game, right? He's like, I'm done with the mafia, done with this life of crime. And he's like, he pulls out this like um, circular thing. It's almost like a like a locket you'd wear around your neck, but it's a it's giant. And he opens it up, and there's John Wick's a bloody thumbprint, still still very red. And he's like, see, look, you swore a blood oath to owe me one. And John Wick's like, yeah, I don't want to do that. David, is, does John Wick suck? You swore an oath, bro. Do promises mean nothing to you, John Wick? Especially knowing what we know, we're we're ten minutes into this movie. We've we lived through the experience of the first movie of John Wick One, where that movie was all about rules. It was you know the Continental has, says this, and the high table says this, and you've got to follow the rules if you want to stay in the Assassins League or whatever. So for John Wick to just sit at that table with Santino and see the marker slid toward him, and for John Wick to say, "Take it back," like I'm asking you, please don't do this, like. Oh, pretty please with sugar on top? Thanks, John Wick. I guess I won't ask you for this impossible favor. Yeah, imagine John Wick goes out to eat at Waffle House. They slide the bill over to him and he's like, don't do this. I'm out. I'm not going to pay it. I'm done. You'd be like, pay your fucking check. Which, uh, at, at this point in the movie, I'm on Santino's side. It's like, you yep. made a promise, dude. You fucking, what, what kind of action hero does not uh, fulfill their, their promise? Get with it. But Santino takes no for an answer temporarily. Leaves the house. Said, it's good to see you, you know, just leaving on peaceful terms. <sighs> As he's leaving, we see in the background, uh, hey, it's Ruby Rose. I don't know how I know her, but I know that I know her. And I guess she's in this movie. So, all right, Ruby Rose. She's going to play Aries. I'll refer to her a lot in this movie. Hopefully not in two negative terms. But Santino and, and Ruby Rose and all of the crew leave. And then Santino. Well, before Santino leaves, David, he goes, uh. You really have a beautiful house here, John, which, oh my goodness. I mean, look, we've, <laughs> when a mafioso compliments something of yours, he's going to kill it or destroy it. You know what I mean? Like, you got a real beautiful house. Shame if uh, a rocket launcher blew it up, you know? Like, Come on, John Wick, get with the fucking program. But he does not get with it. And then what does Santino do? Santino blows up the house. He pulls off to the side of the road, down the street, opens up his trunk. He's got this case with a grenade launcher in there. And boop, 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 just shoots uh, grenades into John Wick's house. You're absolutely right, Mac. Like, this is not John Wick's first day as an assassin or dealing with mafiosos. He should have been packing up his stuff, getting ready for the impending explosion. But instead, he's back to his goddamn room looking at pictures of his goddamn dead wife. And here goes the house up in flames. Yeah, and all the pictures of his wife burn, all these other mementos of his wife. And it's like, no shit, idiot. Like, David, do you remember the show Married with Children where the the family dog, they would occasionally give it dialogue and it would not like make its mouth move or something like that. The camera would just show the dog and then a voiceover would be like, this place sucks or something. Yes. There's another punch up here. I wanted just the camera square on Dogwick, uh, John's dog, who he, throughout the movie, he's like, I don't, I don't have a name for it. Everyone asks the dog's name. He's like, oh, think of a fucking name, John Wick. Yeah. I just put the camera close up on Dogwick to be like, what did you think was going to happen, stupid? Because <laughs> look, someone's got to tell John Wick. He needs, a, he needs a friend that's not just a yes man. You know what I mean? He does. He does need a, uh, more than just a yes man. But his house is blown up. He's got his dog. And that's about it. But he does have his pal Jimmy, played by Thomas Sadowski. Jimmy is back. Jimmy was the, uh, the cop from John Wick 1. He's here to do the same old song and dance where he asks John what happened with the house. He, he infers that there was a gas leak. He asks if John is working again. John does not answer. 
so in this section, we've had three people just here to collect checks. Good for them all. Uh, Bridget Moynihan, collecting that check. John Leguizamo, collecting that check. Thomas Sadowski, go home to your wife, Thomas Sadowski. You did well. But the appearance of this cop, it does serve a purpose. Like when we were watching Roadhouse, man, a lot of talking of other movies, we, we <laughs> joked about how like the police were at like a, a police summer camp because while the small town was being, you know, destroyed in this feud between Patrick Swayze and Ben Gazzara, there was like no police presence whatsoever. And the fact that this cop is like, hey, you guys doing assassin stuff? And John Wick's like, I don't want to talk about it. And the cop's like, all right. It basically is telling the audience, look, the police, they're not getting involved in this. If you're wondering like where any sort of law enforcement is, they're, they're not. And it, it kind of works for me because this idea of like, look, these criminals are just, as far as we know, or as far as we can tell, just kind of at war with each other right now. Like, you know, they're killing each other where the cops can be like, hey, no, stop, don't. Don't kill each other because no civilians are dying. These people are too good of shots. So yeah, the fact that the cop was like, you, you guys do you. That's sort of, if, if you're wondering where they're on the, the rest of the movie, they're uh, at their homes not giving a shit. They're killing innocent people, David. Yes, back the cops are around. Uh, who's not around? Insurance adjusters. Because John Wick never files that claim, I guess, and he never gets That's his true. house back. But John and his thankfully not dead dog walk all the way into the city and check in at the Continental, where helpful concierge Sharon, played by Lance Reddick, offers to keep an eye on the dog with no name. John speaks with the manager of the Continental and assassin referee Winston, played by Ian McShane, who explains that John has no choice but to honor Santino's marker. John meets with Santino and finds out his new assignment, assassinate Santino's sister Gianna, played by Claudia Gerini, off to Rome, I guess, and we're off to Rome. So yeah, John Wick uh, walks into the Continental, and here we see beloved character actor uh, Lance Reddick, Rustin Power King, and then very soon... We meet another uh, beloved character actor, Ian McShane. I got. I'm always happy to see these dudes. So even though it means we're you know delving into more of this um, assassin lore, uh, it doesn't bother me. I like it. No, not at all. And and in fact, you know, I made a joke in the last chunk about all the familiar faces that are showing back up uh, for the for the second movie. I'm glad to see Lance Reddick and Ian McShane here. There is something about grounding it in a world that we're familiar with and reintroducing us to characters that we like. So I'm happy to see them. But something struck me about this where John and, and Dog enter the Continental and Sharon is a little struck by it. Like he's taken aback and even says, uh, good to see you again so soon. John Wick 2 seriously takes place a week after John Wick 1. So what is running through Sharon's mind where he's like, this guy was just here. This guy caused so much damage. I thought he was retired and now he's back and now he's got a dog. Like, uh-oh, some John Wick 2 style stuff is about to happen. David, I once tried to get a hotel room when I was very drunk. And it was like a Tuesday night. And I remember how they told me they didn't have any vacancies. It's like, what? No, really? No vacancies. And the next day I was like, ah, it's because I was drunk. Uh, they didn't want to, <laughs> they didn't want to give me a hotel because I was a, a monster. Uh, I would be, I, I was kind of surprised. Sharon was like, oh man, we, um, uh, yeah, nothing's available right now, John. Uh, why don't you check at the, uh, you know, the La Quinta down the end. I think that's run. By the Thieves Guild, uh, they can possibly host your murder party there. But when John Wick starts talking to Winston, who, you know, you're right, he does talk more about, like, the rules of this assassin world. He's like, there's only two rules, John. All debts must be paid and no conducting any kind of business, uh, a.k.a. murder, here at the Continental. He also talks about how Santino is a, uh, he's part of, I forget, some criminal organization, not the mafia, some other one. But his sister is the one who, when their kingpin father died, his sister is the one that ascended 
to this thing called the High Table, David, which I guess is the uh, Legion of Doom for um, uh, assassins or just criminal organ- organized crime. I guess. I mean, it's a it's a mysterious, shadowy organization that we're just now being introduced to. I, I you know, now that I think about it, I don't think this was mentioned at all in the first movie. So I don't it's think being so introduced either. here. Yeah, I feel like I would have rolled my eyes then instead of now because what what are we doing here? What do we need this for? Some guild of assassins. This was an oh brother moment for me. Uh, I, I'm not quite sure where this is taking us, but I imagine it's taking us to unnecessarily complicated places. Let's assume so. See, I in general tend to like world building stuff like this. So the fact that there's a secret uh, organization of assassins, I'm into it, but I just have more questions now. Like one, how do they feel about raves? But uh, John Wick, he goes to meet with Santino at a museum and Santino's like, this is my dad's museum or whatever. But before he can even talk to Santino, he's got to get frisked by uh, Ruby Rose uh, or Aries, excuse me. And she like pats up his, his like very, not tight fitting, but tight enough fitting shirt. Like to where it's like, mm-hmm. if he had anything in those sleeves, you could tell. But then at some point she like reaches up and kind of grabs his asshole, I guess. Like right there between the cheeks in case he was keeping like a tactical knife uh, shoved up his ass. I, I don't know. Or was it just like an intimidation thing? That's a really good question because it, it it really was a grab like she was about to flip him in a swing dance kind of thing. But it wasn't seductive. It wasn't like she was, you know, feeling up his package or anything. She really just like put her bicep up to his groin and then grabbed his his butthole, basically. Yeah, I'm not quite sure. I'm gonna I'm gonna blame that one on Ruby Rose, as a matter of fact. I'm gonna say that if the high table has an HR department, here comes a complaint, cause uh not cool. But uh, Santino here, he's like, he's like delighted that John Wick is come to ask him uh, for work or a job. He's like, oh, <laughs> look who's back. You, you want to kill me, don't you? But uh, you can't, can you? <laughs> Santino loves having this power over John Wick. Santino just loves being in the same room as John Wick. They, they sit down in the museum. Santino sees the anger in John Wick's eyes and Santino is just eating this up. He's like, you're thinking about it, aren't you? you you're wondering, could you get to me in time? You're, you're looking at, your, at the exits. You're wondering how you could do it. Santino wants John Wick's nuts bad. I don't say that a lot at my age, Mac Blake, but man, Santino's got to have it with John Wick. <laughs> I'll say this. If Santino was, uh, instead of a, oh, I don't know how you say it, uh, enfant terrible, terrible or whatever, <laughs> if he was uh, played instead by like a little Lord Fauntleroy, like like a little boy with curly locks and a blue satin suit, uh, I don't know what his name could be, Sebastian maybe. And if he was like, you have to kill for me, John Wick. Care for a lick of my lolly. I'm ever so full of uh, lolly licks or something like that. It probably would have changed nothing about the plot. It kind of would have fit. Yeah, it's my birthday and my dad says I can do whatever I want. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I have a hoop that we can push down a hill with a stick. Care to join me, John Wick? <laughs> but Santino tells John Wick about the mission, and that is to assassinate Santino's own sister, Gianna. And Gianna is in Rome and John Wick is like, dude, this is a hard kill. Like she's going to be like surrounded by people. It's impossible. I can't do it. You're fucking John Wick. Shut the fuck up. And he begrudgingly accepts. And so, David, uh, where are we going next? Mac, we're off to Rome and John arrives in Rome and is greeted by the manager of the Continental there, Julius, played by Franco Nero. John loads up on supplies from the Continental Mall and plots his entrance and escape routes through the catacombs of Rome. John crashes the coronation of Gianna and takes credit for her death. She's dead. That's how easy it was, Mac. Wow. 
So before John Wick uh, is off to Rome, he stops by uh, this like you know secret place run by uh, looks like Orthodox Jews or Hasidic Jews, and he's got a safety deposit box there full of stuff. Okay, you know what I mean? Like he made a huge deal about like oh I'm burying all this stuff in cement, all my assassin gear. That life is behind me. But if I I could also just go to the safety deposit box. He probably had like three more around the city as well. Good. I'm glad because he's been walking around in the same jeans and Henley for the past two days. I I made a joke before he found that chest. I was like, boy, I hope there's a change of clothes in there. Sure enough, there's a change of clothes in there. This is great. I I aspire to be that kind of person. I would just love to have lock boxes scattered around the country to where if I'm just in Kansas City, Missouri, I know I've got jeans there waiting for me. Yeah. But he does not change into a cool John Wick suit. He changes into, well, a suit, but instead of a shirt and tie, he's got a black turtleneck, which, like, I'm no fashion play, David, but I, I don't know how I felt about this. I kind of was like, mm, I don't know, my man. I did not like it. I thought he was hosting something on PBS. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, I want suits. I want a tie. I want a dress shirt. I want something crisp. I don't want something to meet the parents in. So I, I was a little disappointed by this. But maybe that's what the what the fashion was 20 years ago when he packed that box. That is true. Maybe turtlenecks were, were the hot item that year. But David, did you know the Continental Hotel is actually part of a franchise of Continental Hotels, a.k.a. Assassin Safe Houses? Did you know that? I could not have imagined so because what kind of network of assassins is out there to support such a thing? But sure enough, there's one in Rome. Yep, and it is... Uh, the hotel manager is uh, Django himself, the, the first one, uh, Franco Nero. Now, David, so the fact that the Rome Continental Hotel, the manager uh, or in charge of or whatever, you know, the um, yeah, manager is uh, a former Italian like action hero. It made me wonder who would be the manager at other Continental Hotels. Like it doesn't necessarily have to be like action heroes, but like notable people. Like David, if there was a Continental in Austin, right? Like and John Wick went down there. Mm. Who would this movie cast as the? I mean, probably McConaughey, right? He would probably be like the manager. Or do they have to be old? They'd have to be old. I, God help me! I'd almost think like Willie Nelson would be yeah. the manager of the Austin Continental. I was also thinking Willie Nelson. Uh. <laughs> but yeah, like I can't think of because I almost want someone who's kind of a badass in their own right. McConaughey never strikes me as that. I mean, he's a good dude. Don't get me wrong, but like. I don't see anger in him. I see, you know, hey, let's let's hacky sack it out. Like, I want someone who's like a red ass. And I don't think Austin has a good red ass anymore. You know who I think it would be? And, um, you know, we're mentioning Austin because that's where uh, I, I live. And you, you, where were you staying out? Mm-hmm. Former, <laughs> former Longhorns, Texas Longhorns coach, uh, Mac Brown, I think would be a pretty good manager. And no, I'm not just bringing that up because I do a Mac Brown impression. It's been years since I've done it. I I don't even know if I could do it anymore. So we'll save that for the next inventory episode. I'll write a little script. But David, at this continental Rome, when John Wick shows up, uh, Franco Nero, I don't remember his name. Uh, Oh, Julius. You you wrote it down right there. Julius. Julius, he's like, you know, John Wick is here. This is something big. And he asks John Wick a question. He sits John down, happy to see him. But he he says, uh, if I could just ask one question. And in Italian, he asks him, are you here for the Pope? John Wick <laughs> says no. And the relief on Julius's face, oh, oh, good, we can be friends again. That kind of thing. Like, man, what kind of a constant hell must Julius be in? He he runs the Continental in Rome. Does he ask that of everyone who shows up? Like, poor Julius. Okay, that's the other thing I forgot, David. And, and, and maybe if you're listening to this, you could send us your ideas. So if there's a Continental franchise, I need to know what city it's in, 
who's the, what actor or notable figure, doesn't even have to be an actor, is playing the manager of the hotel. And then who are they worried uh, John Wick will kill there? So if it's Austin, it is maybe Mac Brown is like, yeah, just tell me one thing, uh, John, you're not here to kill Willie, are you? And then he's like, no, he's like, all right, just go out there, have a great game. You're going to do amazing. You're The people love you. You're really awesome. If you're listening to this, <laughs> when this episode comes out, I, I want some picks. I want some continental breakdowns. Where Where's it located? Who's the manager? Who's the person they're worried about getting murdered? <laughs> I, I want I want the silliest options. The silliest options are going to win the day for me. If there's a Continental Hotel in West Texas and someone says, you're not here to blow up the Kalachi place, are you? Then I want to see <laughs> that suggestion, too. Oh, you mean the city of West Texas? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess I should have. Yeah, West, Texas, right? Yeah, That's where it is. Yeah, the check stop is uh, where they make those Thank delicious you. Kalachis there. But after Julius is... Uh, He's secure in his belief that John Wick is not here to kill the Pope. He's like, oh, okay, well then, you know, make yourself at home. And so then John Wick, he's going to go from, you know, scrubby John Wick to back to being an assassin. What does he do? He stops by the tactical tailor's department where they tailor him a, not a bulletproof suit, but a suit with a bulletproof lining. He also goes to a, you know, to buy some uh, ammo or a knife. But then he also asks if the uh, sommelier is in. And uh, who is it, David? Mac, it's Peter Serafinowicz, the tick himself. Uh, I was very happy to see him in this movie. This is an enjoyable sequence. It's essentially, you know, they're comparing wines to guns. And so Peter Serafinowicz asks, well, what sort of, uh, what are you looking for this evening? And John's like, something robust, something, you know, you know, using all kinds of terms that I can't think of right now to describe wine, but he's describing guns. It's a very fun sequence, uh, some really cool weaponry. This sequence is the closest I've come to wishing I gave a shit about guns. It seems fun, but man, <laughs> guns are just a fucking non-starter for me. I, I I want to be enthusiastic about this. I cannot bring myself to it. Yeah, I know nothing about types of guns. And so when Peter Serafinowicz is like talking about the different styles, it's like, yeah, whatever, man. You could be making up every one of these words and that's fine. <laughs> like, oh, this is a, uh, a Swedish-made uh, Dusseldorfer. It's got an excellent putback. I'd be like, oh, that does sound like a good gun. But Keanu Reeves, like he's been trained in this stuff and the way he like will pick up a gun as it's being offered to him and the way he like kind of like checks out its action or whatever, like how you know, the way it shoots and feels, there's something about that is very satisfying. It's almost like visual ASMR or whatever. Like it's like, I just, I guess it's just someone who knows how a thing works as is why it's so satisfying. But yeah, he gets some John Wick guns. He's got a John Wick suit. Time to go to work. Time to go to work. So he goes to Gianna's coronation. Let's just call it that. It's this party that takes place in some ancient Roman structure. I don't know. There's a rave going on. Maybe not the best use of an ancient building. A rave? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) If you're an organized criminal organization (laughs) and you're organized and you throw a rave, you have to know you're inviting some murder to happen there, right? I think they're all murderers. I think that's just a coterie of murderers. All hanging out, just thinking, oh, man, I can't wait to put my gun away for two hours. But no, here comes John Wick. My question, though, is I wonder if Keanu saw the script for John Wick 2, flips to this page and sees a rave and thinks, oh, no, another sequel with a rave sequence. I do not want to do this again. I think those criminals are just like, you know, we love dancing to electronic music. And it's like, oh, but if we do it, people will die. And it's like, oh, but it's it's too, the beats are too fat to resist. The house (laughs) is too deep. We must uh, allow the murder to happen. Again, I'm not good with accents. I don't know where that's from. Arkansas? Uh, I think you're great. But we see, we get to meet the person that John Wick is there to kill. It is uh, Gianna D'Antonio, 
And this party is like for her. Like it's her, uh, she's now risen. She's taken over her father's uh, seat at the high table. You know, it's her party. She's like, oh, thanks everybody. And she quickly goes down to meet with this other organized crime person who, when John Wick 2 came out, I did not think twice about this person, but it was uh, played by Chuck Woody who played Mern in Peacemaker and also the villain in the last Guardians of the Galaxy movie. And I'm a big fan of this dude. He is really good at, he's got like a very quiet voice, but the amount of like gravitas he's able to, uh, you know, put in there, it kind of is a little Malkovich-esque, you know, and that may seem like an odd comparison, but I just mean like the ability to command a scene with, and, and not like have to yell or anything, just with like pure menace uh, or just, you know, again, some, some authority. But he doesn't really have any much to do in this movie. Just shout out Chuck Woody anyway. But the reason why this scene is important, or not important, but the reason, in my mind, the point that this conversation serves is that it's Gianna signing her murder permission slip because the other crime lord is like, hey, you know, you didn't have to take our, uh, like, take over our property or territory or whatever. And you have to, like, show up at, you know, my people's houses with guns or, or knives or something. And then Gianna's like, Actually, those knives and guns you just mentioned, they're not for like your underlings. They're for your underlings' children. So the fact that this lady was about to sign off on murdering kids, now to me, it's like, oh, go ahead and kill this lady. I don't give a fuck about her. That's interesting you say that. That never really occurred to me. I suppose it should now that I think about it, since that is a monstrous thing to root for. But in the context of this movie, I was watching the this exchange with uh, Mr. Oconee is going to be his name in the movie. I was watching Gianna's exchange with, with Mr. Oconee, and I thought, wow, Gianna seems like a really tough person. It seems like she's confident. It seems like she's ruthless. Like she's willing to do anything to hold on to her seat at the high table. So it's going to be really disappointing when in about five minutes, Gianna is dead. You know, here's a quick punch up. Have her be formidable. Have her maybe team up with John Wick to, to go against Santino. Just add some sort of hmm, stakes, I guess, or some sort of conflict to this movie, you've introduced a character who seems ruthless in her own right, but John Wick dispatches her with no trouble at all. I, I don't know. This didn't, this felt odd to me. But David, this is her, her coronation party, right? And uh, look, mm-hmm. it's your party. Uh, and just like that song says, David, it's your party. You can take a bath if you want to. And she's, <laughs> she's going to take a bath. But before she gets in the tub, she dismisses the head of security, who's played by Common, right? And what's the Common's character's name in this thing? Cassian. Cassian. And when he leaves, she says, ostensibly to no one, she goes, what would I do without you, Cassian? And then my notes, I wrote, they're fucking, <laughs> which later <laughs> on in the movie, I don't know if that's true. I think he just cares about her. Maybe they are, maybe they aren't. But I thought I was pretty sure about it uh, in that moment. I thought so too. But then again, if they were having relations, then he wouldn't have needed to leave if she was taking a bath, if that makes sense. Like, mm, true, I feel like there was some true. professional courtesy there. I guess she just relied on him. Maybe I just wanted them to fuck. But but see, well, I, I do take umbrage with, with that also in terms of, I don't know if, if it was her plan to take a bath. I think she was in that gigantic bathroom to freshen her makeup. And then she sees John Wick and she was like, oh, you're going to kill me? Well, thank God this warm bath is here. I'll just step in there and, and open up a couple veins. See, I think because the warm bath was there, I think that was for her. <laughs> unless <laughs> unless the these like you know catacombs and it contain a, a hot spring or something. But she's there and John Wick is there. And as soon as she sees John Wick, she knows the score. And so she does get naked to get into the tub. I don't know if her getting naked, she just didn't want to get her clothes ruined or something. Or if she thought that John Wick would be like, I can't kill a, a hot person. But that's what she does. <laughs> but David, she's not going to give 
Santino or John Wick the satisfaction of letting them kill her. So she, instead of uh, taking a bullet from John Wick, she slits her wrists and crawls in the tub to let the uh, hot water uh, draw out the blood faster. And David, if John Wick had like kicked her head off, I would have been okay with that. If John Wick had turned into uh, one of those like gross uh, spaghetti mash monsters from John Carpenter's The Thing and like chomped her and ground her up, I probably would have been like, well, that's creepy, crazy, man. But uh, I just can't handle people cutting themselves like that in movies. So the way she slid her wrist, she really went to town. This was a huge JFC for me. A huge fucking Jesus fucking Christ. So if that bothers you, maybe skip this part. But yeah, I don't know. Does that bother you at all? Are you okay with it? Because, I mean, look, it's fake. She didn't really kill herself. Right. It, it didn't bother me. In fact, you know, there was a moment I was watching this with, with my girlfriend, The Bombshell, and Gianna slits her wrist. She stands up in the tub before she goes to to lay down one last time, and the blood is just covering her body. You know, it's starting to to spray and gush, and her nude body is covered with blood now. And I... We just thought that was so metal. <laughs> there was just something, you know, going out on your own terms. I think there's a lot to be said for that in the context of a movie not putting any, not bringing anything from real life there. But I, I was, I was okay with this. I thought, you know, for not getting to spend that much time with Gianna, I feel like these moments do say a lot. You know, she is tough and stubborn. She does deserve that spot at the high table. She's, you know, circumstances are just taking it away from her. I was, I was okay with this overall. Yeah, I was okay with it too. I just, I mean, you just describing how she did it just now, you could probably see me frowning just because I was yeah. grossed out by it. <laughs> but it also, you know, it contrasts Gianna with her brother. The fact that when faced with her death, she has dignity and uh, he has uh, like little to no dignity whatsoever. But, you know, she's slit her wrist. She's in the tub. She stopped moving. She closes her eyes. And then John Wick, I guess he's like, look, I can't leave anything to chance. So he shoots her in the head. And I wrote down in my notes, damn, okay. Man, woof, hardcore. Well, I mean, he's got to get credit for the kill, I guess, you know, yeah. because for by all accounts, if people were to walk in and Gianna's wrists are slit, then she died by her own hand. And then I guess John Wick is stuck in marker purgatory with Santino forever. So he's got to get that one headshot in. It's a tough way to make a living. I'll tell you that much. Yeah, it is weird, but it, it does kind of like, it fucks him over though, because you know, he, it could have been like, um, well, it doesn't really fuck him over because, you know, whether her death is a suicide or a murder, it doesn't matter because John Wick uh, quickly bumps into somebody who sniffs it out. What happens as John leaves the catacombs? That's right. John runs into fellow assassin and bodyguard for the now dead Gianna Cassian, played by Common. Uh-oh. John makes his escape through the catacombs thanks to some well-placed weapons, but is run down by Cassian. And the fight continues down the steps of Rome and on to the front steps of the Continental. John and Cassian take a drink break. And John finds out Santino kind of, sort of has to avenge the death of his sister and will be putting out a hit on John. Time to check out early, I guess. So yeah, as John is leaving, he bumps into Cassian, again played by Common. And Common is like, hey man, what's up? Are you working here? And John Wick's like, yeah. And he's like, okay. Well, in that case... Have a good night. And then they both go for their guns. And, you know, they're pretty close. They're both good shots. And and I guess they're both wearing these um, suits with bulletproof linings on them because there's no way they miss in that close range, but they're both uh, alive afterwards. As John makes his escape through this, you know, weird sort of rave version of the yeah, yeah, yeah's that's playing, the gunfire here does not deter anyone at first. It's kind of like the, the last John Wick rave where, yeah, in fact, I think he shoots someone on stage 
at the beginning of this action set piece, which we'll call Dance Till You're Dead. John Wick shoots someone on stage and the, the dancers, the, the crowd there, the audience, they think it's like part of the show. <laughs> so they cheer. The, this crowd is so upsetting. They, they cheer when John Wick is on stage and he shoots somebody dead. John Wick jumps off the stage and apprehends some people in the crowd. There are dozens of gunshots going on, but nobody is clearing out. Everyone's just kind of forming a mosh pit circle around John Wick and whoever he's shooting at the, at the moment. And like, this bothered me. But thankfully, it didn't bother me as much as it could have because this feels like the the kind of scene that would be in a satire where where someone's trying to say, oh, look at America's relationship with guns. They won't even leave a concert while there's a shooting going on. This takes place in Rome. So we can't say that. There's stupid people everywhere. There are people who will not leave a gunfight in the middle of a rave because they paid full price for their ticket. And this is another layered action set piece. We go from uh, murder rave to uh, catacombs of death here. But before we go down there, you know, John Wick, you know, uh, he's escaping down to his little uh, planned escape route in the catacombs. At some point, he's like, you know, fighting off a guy and he grabs someone's head by the back of his hair or something like that. I don't know how he he did it exactly. But he like basically pushed a guy's head over his barrel of his gun and then gets a headshot that way. The physicality of that was surprising in kind of a fucked up way. But when it happened, I was like, oh, shit. And again, dude, I marked out again. (laughs) That <laughs> was a straight up murder markout. Like, oh, whoa, he killed that guy in a cool way, which what, what, a, what is my problem? But uh, I can't deny it. Uh, I marked out. It's funny you say that. And, you know, and tagging on to a point you made when John Wick was with the sommelier where he was, you know, sort of testing out the guns, you know, testing out how they feel. John Wick and by extension Keanu Reeves are really comfortable with their weaponry. And, you know, there's a moment here in, in the catacombs where he needs to load his, his shotgun. But he also needs to kill a guy. So he basically presses the guy down, holds him down with the shotgun while John Wick loads the shotgun and then shoots him. Like stuff like that is cool. But for the most part, I was a, I was mostly unimpressed by this sequence in the catacombs. And I think it was at this moment that I realized my problem with this this particular movie in general, with John Wick 2 in general, is that I'm unimpressed with the action thus far because nothing can stop John Wick. Like, we've already seen it in the first movie. We've seen it so far in the second movie. John Wick is undefeated. And when you get to Keanu's physicality, when you get to John Wick's physicality, every move is so perfect. He's infallible, almost. And I think considering him as an infallible being or sort of an uh, an indestructible being hurt my enjoyability of the action in this movie. Yeah, you're not wrong, because he, when he goes down to the catacombs, and, and when he uh, arrived at this party, we saw him going through the sort of path through the catacombs here. And he strategically places weapons in, in spots. And when he goes down there, he bumps into areas again played by Ruby Rose. And she, you know, signs that like, oh, time to clean up some loose ends. And then here comes Santino's men to kill him. You know, as he's going through the catacombs, he, he goes and finds these weapons that he's laid down there. And, you know, it was a cool sequence. And it was cool to see him also take time to reload, which is something you, you some don't see a lot in action movies. Like you just, I, I feel like, Action heroes, like their guns, just have this unlimited supply of bullets. So the fact that we see uh, John Wick reload, I thought that was kind of a cool touch. There's also some really good uh, squelches here in the Foley work. Some people getting their heads blown off, some squeak uh, noises that were pretty gross. But when he goes, essentially makes his escape, and he gets topside again, he gets hit with a car. It's the second time we've seen a car run straight into John Wick. And both times this car hits him on, I believe, his right side. And okay, sure, it's a movie. The fact that, like, you know, a car kind of hits him going at a lower speed 
and he's able to like roll over it, uh, you know, once is enough. But the second time he does it, you're like, God, his left leg must be trash. He just must be like lugging around just like a, basically a, a, a boneless hot dog. Not that most hot dogs have bones, but you get what I'm trying to say. That his leg is just like dead below the hip. But no, you're right, John Wick, he's like unkillable. And so he just kind of like shakes it off, right? Like, you know, <laughs> good game, good game. And now it's time to fight, fight Common. Well, one, one more thing about that sneak attack by the car. Either John Wick is losing a step as an assassin and can let a car get the better of him, or this movie should have been sponsored by that car because it is the quietest vehicle out there. It could have sold itself as that. Like, I was, I was really impressed by this car sneak attacking out of nowhere. But let's get into the fight with, with Common and John Wick around this car. I got to tell you, I was never really high on Common as an actor. In fact, I think I had a joke that his name must be pronounced Come On because that's what I say whenever I see him in a movie. <laughs> but I got to tell you, he does a pretty decent job in John Wick 2. Like, he carries himself well as an actor in scenes with Keanu. He carries himself well physically. I'm going to give Common his credit in this movie. I think Common's a, a decent actor, right? But there's something about him, like in this role, I just was not excited about it. Mm -hmm. Common is not like a, a villain in this movie. He's, you know, sort of like John Wick's foil. Like he's, he's like his opposite number. But he's he's lacking a little bit of like a, he's not a wild card by any means. There's something kind of like, you know what you're getting with Common, which makes it him a little, I don't know. He doesn't feel as dangerous as maybe somebody else in the role would. You know, like uh, imagine if it was Lakeith Stanfield. God, no, I'm so big on Lakeith. But imagine <laughs> if it was him. Or Robert Pattinson, you'd be like, what are these weirdos going to fucking do? And, you know, Common, he's cool and all. He's not a weirdo. No, I've seen him in phone commercials. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. And, yeah, here we go. Again, another three-tiered action uh, set piece where we go from, you know, murder at the dance floor, murder in the catacombs, to now murder on the streets of Rome. And, you know, we touched upon this earlier, but in terms of, like, this sequel being, like, uh, you know, a bigger expansion of the John Wick world, these action set pieces are a little bit more sprawling. Again, they don't have like, uh, they're not more spectacular mm -hmm. than those in John Wick 1. Like, John Wick's back and he's better than ever. I Not that that was the movie's tagline, but it, it, it shouldn't have been. But yeah, Common and John Wick fight. And I agree, it, it's a pretty cool fight. At some point, you know, they both have like knives and they're like trying to stab each other. And then John Wick gets stabbed a little bit with a knife. Do you think like any part of being stabbed a little bit would help you? And what I mean by that is, Let's say you're like struggling with somebody else and like a knife kind of goes a little bit into your shoulder. Would that hurt so much that you'd be like, fuck, and you'd be, you know, easily murdered? Or do you think there's a chance that that shock of that pain gives you an adrenaline boost at all? Or am I just completely making that up? No chance in hell, especially with John Wick. I okay. mean, like, I, <laughs> you know, John Wick runs on adrenaline, presumably, because he has been in such peril this whole time. By the time you get to the third leg of this action set piece and it's Common and him going mano a mano, I'm surprised he doesn't give up. I'm surprised he isn't just like, just put the knife all the way in. Like, I'll even open up my coat so you don't hit the tactical lining. Just go ahead and go straight for the shoulder on this. But Cassian and John Wick fight and they eventually fight all the way through a, a door into the lobby of the Continental Rome. Where Julius reminds the uh, elite assassins, like, hey, uh, boys, you can't fight here. He's like, may I suggest you go to the bar and have a drink? So they call a timeout, and John Wick sets down uh, at the bar for a drink with Cassian. And you can tell these guys are old bros because they still remember what each other uh, drinks. And David, I don't know about you, but watching 
Cassian drank down that uh, what had to be an ice cold glass of gin made me really want one. Uh, <laughs> but they kind of like lay out like where this movie stands at this point. Hey, uh, I'm, I'm going to kill you. You know, uh, you, you killed my Cassian refers to Gianna as his ward, which I thought that was like the opposite way because Robin is Batman's ward. It doesn't matter. But Cassian's like, I'm coming for you. But Robin's played by Burt Ward. So you got to think about that as well. Oh, true, true. But I got to tell you, I really like this sequence. I think it's a lot of fun. I think it's a, you know, it's this really fun, cool down moment after the tension of of seeing them fight. You know, there is this sense that they are bros or they have a history together. Um, there's this sort of bubbling under tension, but they're hiding it by being cordial. This is a fun interaction, but I want fun action. I, I want this to culminate in something. But, you know, I, I, I did enjoy it. I just wish it was something else. But also that Bart's Aries and she and John Wick exchanged some uh, threatening uh, threats. You know, what else would threats be? Back and forth with each other. And then John Wick, when he goes up to his room, he gets a phone call from Santino. And Santino's like, you know, John, you, you knew I had to have it. And then whatever, John Wick hangs up on him. And then what does Santino do here, David? Well, Max, Santino calls in a contract to the contract handling gals, the gals who handle contracts. Oh, Seven million for the head of John Wick. That's enough money to make an assassin out of everybody. While Santino and Winston discuss rules some more, John is being chased by every sumo wrestler, violin player, and pencil enthusiast in New York City. Cassian gets in on the action and chases John onto the subway, where John stabs Cassian, but in a cool way that lets him live. John seeks shelter in the arms of an unhoused man who thankfully takes assassin bucks. So, David, these uh, switchboard operators here, uh, the, the nerve center of the assassin network, we saw them in the first movie. And they all uh, are like suicide girls dressed like librarians, uh, as if you did not remember that from John Wick 1. Did we see them in John Wick 1? Yeah, we saw them. Uh, yeah, I think so. Oh, I completely forget that. Okay, well, we definitely get more of a look of them here. We we get more of a of a sense of their daily operations or their office environment or whatever. Santino calls in the contract. And I'm not quite sure what to make of this whole universe or at least this chunk of the universe because look don't get me wrong the ladies look cool there's a vibe to them it's kind of the suicide girl office cosplay thing i'm very into it but then (laughs) but then they're using a lot of pneumatic tubes they're using a lot of like tandy computers i'm a little worried about funding for this corporation i don't i don't quite know how it fits into this world of assassins if that makes sense yeah it's like the computers seem to be up to speed in what they could do. They just look like old computers. So were these some like bespoke computers <laughs> that like uh, some hipster computer maker like came up with? If so, cool. But that seems to be the vibe of this assassin world. Because <laughs> we first meet Winston, he's like looking over those like uh, those assassin token coins that some white haired dude just minted. And he's like, these are spectacular. Jonathan, please have a seat. But these computers have the ability to send out text alerts to every assassin who claims to be an assassin. So a lot of people get text alerts and a lot of people are now on the lookout for John Wick. I mentioned uh, John's going to be going through, I I think, a subway tunnel or something. And he'll see a a busker, a violin player. I believe that is the director, Chad Stahelski's wife, who is also a stunt performer in her own right. Uh, Oh, yeah. So she gets into a fight with John Wick, a, I don't know if it's insulting to call this gentleman a sumo wrestler, but he is a big man. Oh, 100% that was his look. Yeah. Okay. And David, I, I love novelty assassins. Like uh, the fact that you have like the violin player, the sumo guy, and then just like 
some other dudes. They uh they they all should have been novelty assassins. You know what I mean? They all should have been. I was I was creating a fantasy where the two guys we see after the violin player and the sumo wrestler are brothers or something, or they have some cool, you know, acrobatic routine that they could do together. No, they're just two guys who happen to meet up with John at the same time. More competent action, more okay action. I'm not particularly thrilled by it, although when you do see the two guys uh, attacking John Wick, one of them happens to have a pencil that John takes, and then you get a payoff to the setup of the pencil legend. I marked out, this will be my first mark out moment, I finally get to see John Wick kill people with a pencil. Yes, and they intercut between a lot of these uh, fights, and it's an action set, set piece we'll call John Wick versus New York City. David, this pencil payoff, when John Wick does indeed kill two dudes with a pencil, uh, one of those kills is by John Wick uh, stabbing a dude in his ear. And just like the cover of that one about Hold Surfer's album, David, this <laughs> bothered me quite a bit. This is my second JFC, my second Jesus fucking Christ when that pencil went in the ear. I wish I did not see that. No, thank you, John Wick. I was into it. I was into the pencil in the base of the skull also, where it goes in the back of the head, where he places it up against the wall and just rams a guy's head into it. Uh, I was very into this, although it's in this moment, and you'll see it throughout the rest of the movie, the blood in this movie. It's very obviously CGI. I don't necessarily mind that, but there's something about this CGI blood that feels very cheap. Like, it doesn't quite blend into its environment, or it doesn't quite feel natural if that makes sense, I I guess I noticed it a lot more than I noticed it. And let's say John Wick one, and it kind of threw me off. Yeah. You know, at, at some point too, uh, maybe more than once when someone gets shot up, uh, they, they do some sort of effect where like the blood like stays on the camera lens, like it stays on the screen. And I think that's cool. Sometimes I noticed it here and I didn't, you know, I, I don't feel like it added anything mm-hmm. to it, but probably my favorite scene in this movie is right here where, Cassian, again, played by Common, he runs back into John Wick, and they're walking through this, you know, like, I don't know, uh, subway stop that's part of a museum. I don't know New York City that well. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But there's all these people where they are. And so, you know, Cassian and John Wick can't have, like, just, you know, uh, open warfare here. And so as they're walking, and and Cassian has the high ground, and and John Wick is, you know, walking on a thoroughfare below him, they're, like, very casually, like, just pip, 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 like, kind of, you know, shooting at each other with some silencers. And it's just this very like discreet, casual shooting is very funny. Uh, I did not mark out, but it is easily my favorite scene in the movie. It's, it's super funny. That's interesting because in my notes I wrote, "What are we doing here?" Because this is one of those moments that feels directly inspired by silent films, by you know, by silent comedy. Because there is a comedy to it. You're absolutely right. Like it's it's a funny moment, but it's a funny moment as we're building toward the third act of this movie. As we're building toward the, toward the payoff of this movie. You have this moment where two assassins who have generally had no problem shooting in crowds, they just shot around a fountain a minute and a half ago. So for them to play it cool during this, I enjoyed it, but I didn't. Oh, yeah. It was one of those fountains where uh, the water, like, will shoot it from the ground and it'll, like, completely disappear. And when it shoots it from the ground, that's when uh, Cassie and Wick open fire on each other. There's no way they didn't hit uh, a civilian there, but I guess they fucking didn't. (laughs) <laughs> um, but then Cassie and Awake end up on a subway car together. Once everyone else gets off the subway car, they start engaging in some hand-to-hand combat. They both try to stab each other with knives, and they, they're, they're each holding the knife kind of like low, like by their hip. So they're both raising their hands from like, you know, down by their sides to try and uh, stab each other. But then they both at the same time with their other hands like block each other. 
And so they both are like, you know, with one hand holding the opponent's knife, with the other hand having their knife hand held. And at some point, uh, Common like knees, like shoots his knee up at his hand and it drives the knife into John Wick. I thought that was cool. However, John Wick gets the upper hand. He stabs Cassian in the chest and he's like, hey, uh, that knife, it's like the way it cut into you. If you remove it right now, you'll die. But if you leave it in, you could probably get to a doctor and be okay. So basically, he's like, and you're out of the movie, but I still have the audience's sympathy because I did not kill an honorable person, which, you know, for all intents and purposes, Cassian seems to be. It's funny you mention sympathy for John Wick. I, I was thinking of this back in the bar when when Cassian and, and John Wick are hanging out and having a drink. So John Wick, before he killed Gianna, explains his situation. Like, I don't really want to do this. I consider you a friend, but I have a marker. I've got to honor the marker. He tells Cassian, he's like, I didn't really want to do this. I had a marker. I had to do it. You would think that this story would elicit some kind of sympathy from people to some degree, or, you know, at least an understanding that John really doesn't want to do this. Oh man, this kind of sucks. No one has any sympathy for him. And I think there's something telling about that. I, I, I think people in this movie know, you know, John, you really didn't have to do this. Like, there's no passion here. <laughs> You've lost your spark, John Wick. The thing that we love watching you do. You're just doing it out of obligation, and I have no sympathy for you there. Yeah, you know, there's a couple times when John Wick easily could have been like, well, you know, fuck it. Uh, I'll send for my dog. Uh, I'll, you know, live out my days uh, as a, a Juan Jick is my new name. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'll live on the Florida coastline. I'm just a, I'm a boat bum now. But no, he just, you know, he's got a, if you piss off John Wick, he's going to fucking come at you. And which is funny because that's a little bit, uh, at odds with Keanu Reeves's vibe. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. I guess that's why when John Wick does like get pissed off, it's kind of fun. But John Wick is kind of beaten up and he runs him some more assassins. And then he's like, you know, on his last legs, he sees someone covered in rags, begging for change in the subway. John Wick sticks one of his continental gold Yoshi coins in the guy's cup. And he's like, take me to your leader. And this dude was like, kind of glares at him. John Wick passes out. And this guy, uh, covers him with his blankets, and the two assassins come up to him, and the uh, the unhoused gentleman turns out he's just cosplaying as an unhoused guy because he's part of a subterranean assassin network. He kills the uh, people trailing John Wick, and he takes John Wick underground, where John Wick meets up with who? Mac John Wick is, is going to wake up in the care of the Bowery King, played by Lawrence Fishburne, a cross between Oliver Twist Fagan. And Morpheus, because it's Keanu Reeves and Lawrence Fishburne, you can't stop thinking about Morpheus. The Bowery King agrees to help John in exchange for a favor to be named later and directs John to where Santino is hiding, at his own coronation. John doesn't get to kill Santino, but at least he gets to kill Ares. Yup, you sort of have this, like, this network uh, of people. We see them later on. They change into, from like, you know, uh, like hobo costumes. Uh, a hobo, of course, short for homeless bohemian. And they change from those costumes into just like average clothes. So instead of being like this, you know, protective network of Morlocks or something, mm -hmm. what it is, is these, it's another like assassin team. They just like, this is how they operate. They're going to try to kind of like, you know, fit in or uh, go un, un, undeterred or ignored because that's how society treats the unhoused. Oh, stop holding up a mirror to our world, <laughs> John Wick franchise. There was a generation of parents in the movie theater who were watching this movie and be like, oh, I knew it. I knew they weren't really homeless. I saw it on the news. They just, they make six figures a year and then they leave in, in Mercedes or whatever. It's like, no, this is just a movie. It's a flight of fancy. Just let it go. But John's going to meet 
the Bowery King, played by Lawrence Fishburne. He's going to meet him on the roof of this building, wherever we are. I think it's a mission or some sort of shelter. But we see his operation, or at least one of the aspects of his operation. Uh, he has a network of pigeons, and they all have little pouches. And the Bowery King has workers putting SIM cards into the pouches, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. Why are SIM cards being transported by pigeon around New York City? Do you have any wild theories as to why that is? I mean, at some point it gets a little insensitive. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's like their shopping carts are actually like, you know, tactical vehicles with a grenade launcher. It's like, nah, man, just leave them alone. But I will say that Lawrence Fishburne does look like he's having a lot of fun in this role. Because, yeah, you can't help but think of, of Morpheus. Where Morpheus was very calm and cool and collected. This dude, the Bowery King, is chewing some scenery. And the Bowery King says like, hey, John Wick, we've actually met before. That's right. The Bowery King tells a story of several years ago when the Bowery King was just a, a pawn in the game. Uh, John gave him a gift of two slices into the Bowery King's throat. There's like two little scars. And the Bowery King explains that he was given a choice that day by John Wick. He could either keep the pressure on his neck and live, or he could take the pressure off his neck so that he could kill John Wick and then die within a matter of minutes. So the Bowery King chose to live. Uh, he took this as a gift from John Wick, and now nobody ever sneaks up on on the Bowery King. Yeah, I got to agree. In fact, I was reading the trivia uh, on IMDb for this movie, which I never do. I mm. never look at the trivia for any of the movies we do on the mountain. So it turns out Lawrence Fishburne and Keanu Reeves, they've been friends for years. They hang out a few times a year. And Lawrence Fishburne, on one of their visits together, was gushing so hard about John Wick that a few months later, Keanu comes back with a script and says, hey, I want you in John Wick too. So to know that and to know that Lawrence Fishburne really did like this movie and premise and was truly having fun being in this movie, there's something so infectious about that. I wanted more of Lawrence Fishburne in this movie. And he's like, why shouldn't I just turn you in, John Wick? There's a bounty on your head of $7 million. And John Wick's like, well, you think Santino's going to stop at 14th Street? Again, I don't fucking have a map of Manhattan. What does that mean? <laughs> But the Bowery King agrees to let John Wick go, and he gives him a, a gun and only one clip of bullets. Okay. And so he's like, yeah, I know where Santino is. Go kill him. And then John Wick, here we go. Another action set piece. It's a murder museum, a museum of murder, whatever you want to fucking call it. Because John Wick is there. Santino is there. Santino's got a lot of goons. Time to kill some goons. Yes. This feels like a waste of a favor because John Wick is basically saying to the Bowery King, please, I need help moving around underground. I need to be out of sight. I also need help finding Santino. There's $7 million in my head. I will take it out and trade. You'll get paid one way or the other. Just help me out and let me live. So the Bowery King's like, sure, I'll help you. He's at his coronation. He's at the museum where he always hangs out. Just go there. Thank you very much. Here's seven rounds. Good luck. And so John Wick goes to the museum, goes to Santino's coronation, and there's a moment here where Santino spots John Wick and has this look on his face like, oh, shit, the boogeyman is here to kill me. But I also have to imagine that Santino is pissed at everyone at his party because Santino put out a $7 million bounty on John Wick's head. I want him dead. And nobody at this party thinks to go for that $7 million. Everyone just lets John Wick have his way with Santino. They clear out like they're about to have a dance off. No one protects Santino. I'd be furious if I was him. Yeah. Although he uh, kind of seems like a little intrigued by it, like, oh, we are going to dance again, John Wick. Again, that's not how he sounds. <laughs> uh, but at some point when John Wick runs out of bullets, he does throw an empty gun at somebody, which did make me go, <laughs> but I didn't, uh, I didn't mark out. 
somehow in this uh, museum, I guess it's kind of, it feels like one of those like infinity rooms, you know what I'm talking about? Sure. But basically there's this art exhibit when John Wick and the bad guys enter, there's like a little voiceover here. In fact, maybe we could play this voiceover audio. Within this exhibition, the interplay of light and the nature of self-images coalesce to provide an experience which will highlight the fragility of our perception of space and our place within it. We hope through this exhibit we can provide new insights into your understanding of the world and just possibly lead you to deeper reflection into the nature of self. And the voiceover, you know, welcomes people to this art exhibit. But this art exhibit, David, is basically like uh, the the murder mirrors, you know, from like Enter the Dragon or that Keanu Peel sketch uh, where like, you know, am I here or am I here? You know, like, because <laughs> there's all these mirrors. You don't know which one's uh, John Wick and which one's a mirror. In a different movie, they would have like set up a suspenseful like kill zone here. But in this one, we're, we're moving at too fast a clip. But uh, waiting for him uh, and behind one of these mirrors, it's uh, Ares, Ruby Rose. Finally get to see her join in the action. Yes, Ares to the rescue. This will be her fight with John Wick. Here's what I'm going to say about Ruby Rose. And I don't mean to be critical of her. She's really kind of barely in this movie, but at the same time, she has a not insignificant role. If I don't know. You'll just have to watch this movie. But I feel like this movie does her a disservice because she plays someone who is mute or, you know, she doesn't speak. So she communicates with sign language. So the movie is asking Ruby Rose to do a lot of emoting or to do a lot of acting without speaking. And that's just not fair because what you end up with, and again, I hate being critical about an actor in a movie, but you can almost tell that Ruby Rose is playing pretend. She doesn't quite fit into the universe the same way that these actors disappearing into their characters do. This feels like an actor playing a role in a movie, and I was, as a result, more than happy to watch her get killed by John Wick. Yeah, I mean, I'm not too up on Ruby Rose's uh, backstory, but I believe that she's like a a model and a DJ. Mm -hmm. You know, that's her background more than it is an actor. And so, I mean, I don't know. There's a chance here she was cast more for her look than for her her acting skills. I mean, I know that, you know, she's got a, a, I just looked her up on IMDb. She's been in a lot of stuff, it looks like. So, you know, maybe she's, a solid actor. I'm just not too familiar with her mm. uh, at the moment. But yeah, they fight. John Wick kills Ares, or seems to get in a kill shot. And then Ares signs like, you know, I'll be seeing you. Is she dead? Or was that like, I'll see you in hell? Or was that like, uh, I'll see you because I'm not quite dead. I'll maybe in another, in, a, in the future. Oh, I figured that's an I'll see you in hell. I mean, because the, okay. I'll be seeing you, not if I see you first. That's a continuing bit from the first movie. They repeat it here in the bar exchange, Aries and John Wick do. So I think it's just a sort of salutation of, I'm going to kill you, not if I kill you first. So Ruby Rose, she's very much on her way out. She's very much been killed by John Wick, but I think she just wanted to get this one last button out. I, I, yeah, no, I think she's very much dead. And this action here of John Wick disposing of all these goons, it it came the closest to reminding me of the action from the first John Wick movie where, you know, he's like going about like disposing people in a very like efficient way. I guess the catacomb scene was a little bit like that too. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it still feels like, I don't know, it's just missing a little bit of like the spark that the first John Wick movie had. Because I think I had a markout moment at just the aggressive way he would take down dudes. And in, in this one, a couple hours into this movie now, and John Wick fighting people, it's enjoyable, but um, but yeah, I'm not uh, coming close to marking out. It almost feels like this movie suffers from a grace problem. Like they're, they're trying to go for like a gracefulness or an artistry to their fight scenes. 
like this one. You know, it's an impressive sequence from a filmmaker's perspective, shooting in a room full of mirrors and being able to hide the camera and the crew and still being able to document all the action. This actually reminded me a lot of a sequence I'm sort of half remembering from John Wick 3, where there's a fight between uh, John Wick and Mark Dacascos in this very beautiful, colorful, artistic setup. But it's also an awesome fight. I think this movie, I think John Wick 2, is sort of a rough draft of some things that get seen to completion in John Wick 3. So I, I'm I'm holding out hope that John Wick 3 improves upon some of the stuff going on in 2. I did not remember much about John Wick 2. Just right now, I definitely remember uh, like three cool things about John Wick 3. So I, I think it does uh, pick up, but we'll see. And we're celebrating John Wicksmith uh, now, maybe... Come February, we'll celebrate uh, John Wickentine's Day. We don't know yet. Um, (laughs) But even though Santino, basically his entire goon army is gone, he escapes. And where does Santino go? Oh, Mac. Santino cowards his way to the Continental where he ollie ollie oxen frees his way to safety. John says there's nothing in the rule book that says I can't kill Santino on the Continental grounds and kill Santino. Winston says that's pretty much the whole rule book, but doesn't say anything else. And John goes back home to his pile. Sharon recovers John and brings him to Winston, who chooses to spare John's life from punishment from the Continental, but instead gives John an hour head start before the third movie kicks in. Yeah, so Santino, he's in. An, he ends up at the restaurant at the Continental, and John Wick shows up, and Santino's like, mm, this place has a surprisingly good menu. I could stay here for an entire year and not eat the same thing twice. I think I might just stay here in this safe haven where you can't touch me for fucking ever. And Ian McShane's like, don't do it, Jonathan. Jonathan, do not kill him. And of course, John Wick fucking kills him. And he's like, Jonathan, what have you done? And so John picks up his dog from uh, Sharon Sharon, whatever he, however he says his name. And, you know, he could, again, escape. But he just wants to go to his, like, uh, burned down house and uh, emote there for a while before Sharon calls him back in for a meeting with Winston. Why didn't that meeting happen right away? We had to get in some uh, emo stuff. I guess, and he meets Winston at a very public place, the park, and Winston kind of explains to John Wick, uh, what's going on? Like, what's his current situation? What am I looking at? The Camaro's double Santino's open contract has gone international. High table. And the Continental. You killed a man on company grounds, Jonathan. You leave me no choice but to declare you excommunicado. The doors to any service or provider in connection with the Continental are now closed to you. I am so sorry. Your life is now forfeit. Then why am I not dead? Because I deemed it not to be. So this is Winston declaring John excommunicado. That's a word you're going to hear a lot in the third one, and you'll hear it now in the second one. Basically, he's saying all of the services of the Continental, all of its luxuries, everything it does for the assassin community is now off the table for you. But even though I killed Adrian Palicki in the first movie for breaking the rules of the Continental, I'm going to let you go. In fact, I'm going to give you a head start before I call on the contract to the contract handling gals. My question to you, Mac, and I know this is, you know, we're wrapping up the second movie, you know, it's it's essentially the Empire Strikes Back of this trilogy where you're left wondering, oh my God, what's going to happen to our hero? But my question overall is why? Why does Winston, in the context of this movie, what we know now two movies in, why does he do this for John? Why does he extend the courtesy of letting him 
giving him an opportunity to escape. Well, first of all, I'll say that when John Wick shot Santino, I was, even though I knew he was going to do it, out loud I was being like, don't do it, stupid. Don't fucking shoot him. Just kill him later. I think it's uh, some level of respect. I think because John Wick is the best in the game, it kind of pains Winston, you know, that this fate is now uh, befallen John Wick. But, you know, I, I, I think it's respect. He wants to give him like a little sporting chance, even though the odds are against him. I believe Winston like sets up John Wick in number three. So maybe I'm wrong about that. But at least in the second movie, yeah, I think there's a level of respect there for the fact that John Wick is the Michael Jordan of assassins. He loves gambling. No. <laughs> oh my God, John Wick had his father killed. <laughs> oh, that's a rumor. <laughs> yeah, I was I was hoping for that. I mean, I got the sense when I first watched the movie that it was something like that. And watching it again for the show, I almost wish Winston was doing it from a place of amusement. I almost wish that you could take the respect off the table and just say, I want to see if you can do it. You know, you're the you're the best there's ever been. Go show me. I, I think I would have appreciated something like that. Yeah, same. I think that would have been uh, a more interesting angle on it. But I mean, it, it does keep it like personal and a little bit of emotional there, I guess, tying it in. Uh, you know, the the thought that he begrudgingly has to declare uh, John Wick excommunicado. But seriously, John Wick, Santino was not worth it. Like, yeah, those Russian dudes, they killed the dog, the last vestige of your, you know, your dying wife, uh, the last little piece of her presence left on the earth. But in this movie, you know, they just... Uh, tried to kill you. Does that happen every other day for you, John Wick? Just let it go. But he does not. And so anyway, the text message goes out that there's now a contract on John Wick's head, that he's now been exiled, excommunicated from the assassin world. And everyone in New York City gets this text message. It seems like the population of New York City that are secretly assassins is at least 45%. And John Wick and Dog Wick are like running through the city. You get the feeling the noose is going to tighten in on them. And that is how we end John Wick Chapter 2. All right, David, time to tell the tale of the tape. How many markout moments did you have? How many moms up in this piece? I had one mom. How about you, Mac? I had three. They were front-loaded and a lot of fun, but yeah, the, uh, the movie kind of dragged a little bit. Maybe, I don't know. But David, is this someone's favorite movie? If it's going to be anybody's, it's going to have to be a fan of the series who just decided to plant their flag on this one and say this is the best for some inexplicable reason. But that's where I would go with if I'm trying to find a fan of this movie. What do, what do we think, Mac? I don't think so. And for the reason you just said, I think that there's other there's better John Wicks. And so mm-hmm. I, I cannot think of a, a reason why this one stands above uh, one or three. Or, and again, I have not seen four yet either. All right, time for punch-ups. We're the Ultimate Script Doctors. Everybody knows that. David, how would you fix this movie? How would you punch it up? I've got a couple. One I mentioned just a, a bit ago, let poor Ruby Rose talk. I think I would be less critical of her in this role if she was just allowed to be like any other actor in this movie. I think giving her the gimmick of not talking or, or just, you know, or communicating non-verbally, it does her a disservice. Let, let her talk. Let her have some fun in this movie, even though she's Australian and that would just be weird to hear. But uh, <laughs> my my big note for the whole movie, so John Wick is reluctant to do any of this. He he insists on not getting that marker. He insists on not carrying out uh, the murder of Gianna. He still carries out the murder of Gianna, even, even though they've been friends for years or something like that. Same with Cassian. At some point in this movie, wh- whatever it resembles, John Wick's got to want it. He's got to be properly motivated. That's what made the first movie work so well. It was... 
okay, someone killed his dog. I understand where he's coming from. I'll understand for the next hour and 40. This one is just, I understand it because it's a guy who doesn't want to work being asked to go work again. So of course he's going to have a sour ass about it. And like, I, I can relate, but it doesn't compel me to watch this from an action movie perspective. So I wish John Wick had a want in this movie that I could feel as an audience member. But it's okay. This is the second of a third leg, I guess four legs of a movie. So it's it's going to be a link in the chain rather than a standalone thing. What about you, Mac? What are your punch-ups on this one? Well, my main punch-up is I wonder if we could trim it a little bit. What if this movie was shorter? Do you think it could be like a little bit shorter? I think that would help it a, a bit. And my other punch-up is I think I had a similar punch-up in the first movie. And it's not necessarily something I would change about John Wick Chapter 2. But in terms of, you know, like a a Blu-ray extra, DVD extra, I want to see a scene with some collateral damage people. Like maybe a short film about some ordinary people just got caught in the crossfire. Like when when John Wick is like moving through the mirrored room in the basement of the museum, I want to bump into some regular people who are like, oh, we were were on the previous tour and got lost. (laughs) Like the, the rave in Rome, is there a caterer that we could follow around who did not sign up for this? You know what I mean? I just want to see some people get caught up in this, this John Wickiverse. I don't want to see him get murdered, but what's their story? Is one of them Lizzie Kaplan? That sounds funny. <laughs> that, I'm laughing already. All right, David, please join me in the Punch Mountain Video Store. We have three copies of this movie to stock. And as you know, David, here at Punch Mountain Video, this is an all-action movie video store. So on which shelves would you place these movies? What subsections of action do these things go in? All right, this is going to be the fourth movie on the Keanu shelf, so we'll have to reinforce that one. This will also go on the franchise shelf since this is the second of four, uh, maybe five John Wick movies. So, so of course, this is a franchise. My third copy, I don't quite know, to be honest with you, but I was wondering, okay, if I walked into this video store and was looking for John Wick 2, where would I find it? And I think I want a shelf that's called Just the Groundwork. It's for those entries in a franchise or in a series where it's just laying the groundwork for the rest of the series. I feel like it's this and maybe Attack of the Clones. Maybe there's some other movies I'm forgetting, but just a lot of like rules, maybe some hearings, maybe some some drafting of documentation. Any, any movie that has stuff like that, I think it's going to go on the Just the Groundwork shelf. That sounds good to me. In terms of the franchise shelf, I would replace it. I think I mentioned this previously with a, a, a Stahelski and Leach shelf. David Leach is co-director on John Wick 1, where you get all the John Wick movies and then all of David Leach's effort kind of snug up next to each other uh, right there. David, I would almost set up a shelf and I would call it If You Missed It, and then it would say dot, 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 that's okay. Uh, because <laughs> I think you could just read the description. Of, if you're a John Wick fan, right? I think you could probably, probably go from one to three and you wouldn't miss a whole lot mm-hmm. uh, of, of John Wick 2. And again, not that this was not an entertaining movie. It certainly was. It just, in terms of a franchise with some high watermarks, I don't think this was one of them. All right, David, it's come down to it. We have to discover the position of John Wick 2 on Punch Mountain itself, the definitive ranking of action movies. Before the mountain reveals its judgment, where would you place this movie? And just as a reminder, at the summit right now, we have Terminator 2 Judgment Day, followed by The Raid 2, The Matrix, Jurassic Park, Hardboiled, John Wick 1, and Atomic Blonde. And down at uh, the basement of the mountain, at the Continental by the Mountain, which I got to say, David, is not well run. Oh, no. And David, you know who the uh, the celebrity manager of the Continental Punch Mountain uh, location is? I can't say that I do. 
It's Chappie, because that's Susan at number 50 right there. Chappie, the, the wayward robot. Uh, David, so where would you, where does this movie go according to you? Oh, jeepers. This is a real head scratcher, because let me be clear, I did enjoy this movie. I, I happen to enjoy the John Wick series. I think it is one of two series that never disappoints, the other one being Jackass. <laughs> True. Uh, but as far as an action movie goes, I don't know. The action is competent. It gets the job done. It is fun to watch, but not necessarily thrilling. And it's not nearly as innovative as the third one. It's not nearly as unexpected as the first one. So, gosh, I mean, how do you reward a decent effort of a John Wick movie? That's that's going to be the, the question that gets answered when we find out. Yeah, because the problem is not that John Wick 2 sucks. The problem is that is that John Wick 1 and 3 and possibly 4 are great. And so you have this movie, which is competent, fun, and exciting, but not beloved. And I think that might cost it some position points. Oh, no, David, hide in your, your giant bathtub uh, underneath the, the catacombs, because those are the rocks falling off the mountain. And we see the golden letters revealing the position of John Wick Chapter 2, and it is 29. That means uh, 27 Top Gun Maverick, 28 Lost Bullet, 29 John Wick Chapter 2, 30 Birds of Prey, the Fantabulous Emancipation of Harley Quinn, and 31 Sudden Death, or Suddy D, according to Carrie Lindo. <laughs> Which, you know, might be surprising, but again, John Wick Chapter 2, missing a little bit of that uh, je ne sais quoi that those uh, other movies might have. It really is. Like, you look at everything above John Wick 2, there's an energy to those movies, there's an enthusiasm to those movies that I just think John Wick 2 doesn't have. So, as much as I generally root for the John Wick franchise, this feels at home for for John Wick 2. Oh my gosh, David, did you hear that sound? My tokens, Mac! All my tokens! Hold on, that's the sound of uh, the continental coin system? Uh, What? I don't know, clanging in a gumball machine? (laughs) Okay, you really need to get your ears checked, David, because clearly that's a horn... (laughs) calling us to action. On this podcast, we talk a lot about fictional action heroes, but we also want to talk about real heroes taking action for vulnerable, underserved, or underrepresented communities. This month, we're spotlighting the ALS Association. ALS Association is dedicated to discovering treatment and a cure for ALS and to serve, advocate for, and empower people affected by ALS so they can live their lives to the fullest. After each episode this month, Punch Mountain will be making a small donation to the National ALS Association. Also, for every review we get on Apple Podcasts, we'll add $1 to that donation. And hey, if it's a good review, we'll probably read it on air. For more information about the ALS Association or to donate directly to them, visit ALS.org. Folks, that'll do it for another edition of Punch Mountain. Don't forget to add us on social media. We're on Instagram at Punch Mountain or drop us a line at punchmountain at gmail.com. You can also join us on Discord. The link is in our link tree. The link tree is on our Instagram. MacBlakeComedy.com is your source for Mac stand-up next week. It's episode 50, so we're finally going to come out to the coast, get together, and have a few laughs. From 1988 and directed by John McTiernan, we're watching Die Hard. Welcome to Inevitability, pal. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.